Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Too Much Junk in the Trunk, Part 2. So, last Sunday, we started, uh, um, I didn't know we were starting, I thought we were just doing, but it ended up I didn't get finished, so we, uh, I was, I was, I was preaching a sermon last Sunday, or teaching on um, having too much junk in your trunk, and so if you'll remember, the illustration is I had my backpack on, and reflected on a time when I was uh, in a service and then another time when I was on an airplane and just the fact that came to the realization that I have to carry a whole lot of stuff with me to make sure I have everything that I need and it weighs us down. So we looked at some illustrations last week, some cars with junk piled up on them and in them and we we, we looked at the reality that if we have too much stuff and we're abusing our vehicle, then we aren't, a, we aren't able to accomplish what we were intended to accomplish. If you are supposed to be able to take a turn at 110 miles an hour and you've got stuff stacked 15 feet high on top of your vehicle, you can only get, take it at 10 miles an hour, right? And so we have to totally adjust what the way we're supposed to live based on our necessity to carry a bunch of stuff with us. And we carry that stuff with us to make sure we never have to enter into a season where we don't have what we need. So we try to predict and we try to make sure and we try to secure everything and we try to plan and prepare and take matters into our own hands, right? And self-preserve. And so we go into every season that way and so I just want to take this a little bit further today and um, maybe break off some of the preconceived ideas that even that teaching last week would cause us to consider that we are supposed to be somehow impoverished since we're not supposed to take a lot of stuff with us is he saying you know we're supposed to be broke as a joke you know, and Jesus, we, we referenced last week that Jesus told his disciples, you're not going to need a lot of money when you go. He sent them out. He said, don't worry. You're not going to need a lot of money. Don't wear a bunch of extra clothes. Don't pack your backpack like Michael. Don't do all that stuff. I'm going to take care of you and I'm going to meet your needs. And so he sends them out and tells them they don't have to have a lot of money. We know that Jesus tells a man, foxes have holes, right? And what's the other? Birds have nests or something, you know? But the Son of God has nowhere to lay his head, right? Now, what's neat is he tells this one guy that, and the guy goes back, right? He tells the, he tells the next person that comes up to him, come follow me. If Jesus, if the, really the point of what he was telling that guy was to say, we don't have enough beds for you? Why did he tell the next guy to come follow him, right? So Jesus was testing the heart of the person who was asking, right? Not just stating a reality. See, the, the, the reality is that Jesus was wealthy. Oh, that just messed with everybody. Jesus was wealthy, okay? Now, that doesn't mean he carried treasures around with him, but he carried treasures around with him, right? It doesn't mean that he wore fancy garments, but he did wear some fancy garments. Matter of fact, the garment they took off of Jesus when they were going to crucify him was a seamless garment, which in the day was a very expensive garment, which would signify a wealthy person. And so they cast lots for his garment, not just to shame him, but because it was a wealthy garment. And so it was a seamless garment. Jesus, if he needed to feed 5,000, he could feed 5,000 people. How many people in here could feed 5,000 people? All right, Jesus could feed 5,000 people, 4,000 people. Jesus, when it came time to pay his taxes, he got a fish sent them to catch a fish, and take the coin out of the fish's mouth. 
Uh, I heard a saying the other day, you know, money may not go on grow on trees, but it might grow on seaweed. Because <laughs> a fish found it and brought it to Jesus, right? And so how much money do you need if you can take money out of fish's mouth? Like how much money do you need to carry? Okay, and so Jesus, uh, uh, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, these are wealthy people that supported Jesus. Jesus had many wealthy supporters that supported him in his ministry. Okay, he had on multiple occasions very costly oil poured on him. And so we think we get this picture of the brokenness of Jesus. Jesus was wealthy. Jesus had everything he needed and, and surplus and abundance. I can't go into all of that today. That's not the point of this. But just to disarm that just a little bit, this is not about not having stuff, but it's about how you have stuff. And I want to try to communicate like to sum up today it's like three analogies and I'm going to try to make them make sense all right so one of them is this wealthy people don't try to own a bunch of stuff matter of fact wealthy people try to own as little stuff as possible Really wealthy people try to own as little stuff as possible. Because if they own it, they have to pay tax on it. So they try to make one of their subsidiaries own it, and they just have access to it. They don't own their yacht. Their company owns their yacht. But they can use their yacht whenever they want to use their yacht, right? When they want to take a trip to Paris, they don't, spend their money, they have an expense account because they're on business, right? And so they don't have to own that stuff. And so when we talk about, let me, let me jump in here. We were on uh, Matthew chapter 6 last week. Let's do this again. I think I got my cart before my horse. I think I got my analogy before my text, all right? This is why I tell you, never be worried. Matthew 6, 25. Never be worried about your life, for all that you need will be provided, such as food, water, clothing, everything your body needs. Isn't there more to your life than a meal? Isn't your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. Do, they, do you think they worry about their existence? They don't plant or reap nor store uh, food, yet your heavenly Father provides for them, pr provides each with them with food. Aren't you much more valuable to your father than they? So which one of you, by worrying, could add anything to your life? And why do you worry about your clothing? Look at the beautiful flowers of the field. They don't work or toil, and yet not even Solomon in all of his splendor was robed in beauty more than one of these. So if God has clothed the meadow with hay, which is here for such a short time, and then dried up and burned, won't he provide for you the clothes you need? even though you live with such little faith. So then forsake your worries. Why would you say, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For that is what unbelievers chase after. Doesn't your heavenly Father already know the things your bodies require? So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from it. Then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Refuse to worry about tomorrow, but deal with each challenge that comes your way one day at a time. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now look, right before this passage, I wanted to read that first, and then we go back to the, the passage right before it, Matthew 6, 19 through 24. Don't keep hoarding for yourselves earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves Material wealth eventually rusts, decays, and loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay, or lose their value. For your heart will always pursue what you value as your treasure. Yeah. 
The eyes of your spirit allow revelation light to enter into your being. If your heart is unclouded, the light floods in. But if your eyes are focused on money, the light cannot penetrate and darkness takes its place. How profound will the darkness within you be if the light of truth cannot enter? Now, I've read this all many times. The eye is the lamp of the soul. If it's light, the whole body's light. If it's dark, the whole body's dark. But we can't just take stories like that and passages like that and not have them in context. That passage is sandwiched between two passages about money. Okay? And I really am not preaching a sermon about money today. All right? But just bear with me. How could you worship, verse 24, Two gods at the same time, you will have to hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot worship the true God while enslaved to the God of money. Okay? So, Jesus was wealthy. Jesus had access. Jesus was connected to the Father. He could access the supernatural at any time. Is it better to have enough money to feed 5,000 people or have enough power to create food for 5,000 people? Like, I mean, what's, what's better? You know what I mean? Is it better to have the money that a boatload of fish brings in or is it better to have the power to say, hey, put your net down on the right side and bring in a load of fish so great that it's going to rip your nets? I mean, like what's, what's more important in life? Seek first his kingdom, the availability of his kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand so close that you can access it. It's within grasp. And his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. And so the thing is, if we earn the things that we're chasing after through man's system, okay, then we have to pay tax on it. If you earn peace through man's system, then you... then. Inside that system, they can, the world can establish whatever tax it wants to make a demand on your peace. If you arrive at a place of peace by somehow formulating your life and checking off all the boxes that you thought would make you happy, and you arrive at a place and you say, now I have peace, well, next week you may be taxed and your peace be taken away. Because you may go through something next week that makes a demand and it changes, it flips the script on you. Yeah. It's so uncertain and it's so unstable. And so if you play by their rules, then you got, you're taxed by their laws. And so when we arrive at these places and we build our kingdoms made of sand and we go through man's system, then we have to pay tax. Yeah. Now, if we get our peace from the kingdom of heaven and through his righteousness, then it's not subject to the taxes of the other realm, right? right? Like no one can tax it and no one can take it away and no situation can change it. They can try later to say, well, we changed the law on that and now that is no longer worth what it used to be worth, so you're in debt. But if we find our peace through a kingdom that never changes, through a God that was and is and is yet to come, he's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's our provider. If we find our source and our worth and our peace and our shalom in him, then it cannot be taken away by the circumstances and the situations in life. That's why it says, lay up treasure in heaven. You can't serve, you can't worship, you can't, your worth can't be defined by two different kingdoms. Your worth has to be defined by one or the other. Yeah. Or you're going to be tormented and vexed and you're going to think you're worth something, but you're going to come up empty. There's people all the time that think they're worth something in this world. But when they stand before God, they come up empty. 
And sometimes it looks like when we find our worth in God, we look at us in the world and it may look like we're empty. But we're not. We're wealthy. And we have access to everything that we need, but you can't find your worth in two opposing kingdoms. And so that's one of the pictures is this, this taxation that can take place. See, in the world, you have to earn it. But in, the, in heaven, it's a gift. So there's no taxation on it. Yeah. It's a gift. It's freely given. You don't have a debt on it. The world rules aren't going to change on it. Yeah. I think of it like a business expense. If you are saying... Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. If you're going like the disciples and you're living a life of faith and you're finding your worth in him, guys, this has nothing to do with how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you have millions or if you, don't, if, or if you have pennies. It doesn't matter. If you are recognizing that your millions are your daily bread, then use those millions as your daily bread. Use those millions to do the work of the kingdom, right? But if you are operating on an expense account, how awesome is that? If we could face every single day and say, I have nothing. I love that song we sang today, I came here with nothing. But all that you have given me. Make me an offering. We came here with nothing. I read a verse last week to you. We came into the world with nothing in our hands, and we'll leave the world with nothing in our hands. We came here with nothing. We have a business expense. We have a business account. What does it take for you to live and to extend the righteousness of God and the wealth of God to all those in your sphere of influence? Some people, it may take millions to do that. Yeah. And if they can look at their millions as just that, then God will give them the millions that it takes. Yeah. Whatever it is, if we could look at it as it's not ours, but it's his, and find freedom and joy and peace in that, and lay our treasure up in heaven and not on earth, it has nothing to do with what we have and what we don't have. It's that we say it's a treasure from heaven and not a treasure from earth. It's like just moving it on a ledger and say that did not come from earth, that came from heaven. I want that to be a heavenly treasure and not an earthly treasure. And so if you want it to be a heavenly treasure, treasure, then you have to place it in heaven where heaven has access to it, and you have to trust heaven with it. And then it becomes a heavenly treasure. We can take worldly treasure and just move it, diversify our portfolio, yeah. put it up in heaven, and let it become treasure in heaven. Yeah. And so it can't be touched, it can't be taxed, and moths don't destroy it, and rust doesn't erode it, and it is safe, yeah. and it is accessible. But we don't want it accessible. We want it in our hands because it defines us. And we find our worth in it. We can't worship it and worship God at the same time. We can't find our worth in it at the same time. And so we take whatever we have, and it's not, this isn't about having, not having earthly treasures. It's just taking earthly treasures, recognizing that it is not an earthly treasure, recognizing that whatever's in my hand is a heavenly treasure, and putting it in the treasure of heaven column. And so it protects it. It shields it against all of the defining laws of man. Yeah. Right? Your money can defy the laws of man. It's like heavenly tax evasion. Some of y'all need to do some heavenly, ta heavenly tax evasion on your peace, on your joy. You need to make it secure from the right places. You need to take your joy just like you do your money. So, hey, this makes me happy. Well, did I derive this by earning it, by doing all the right stuff, by making all the wrong de right decisions? Did I earn this? Is this an earthly treasure? But if I can take my happiness and I can do the same as I did with my money and I can say this is a heavenly treasure 
everything, every good and perfect gift comes from above. This is from God. This is a fruit of righteousness. I've sought his kingdom and his righteousness, and he's filled my life with joy. Let me be aware of where my joy came from. Then you've just done some heavenly tax evasion with your joy. Because if it came from all of this, then when all of this changes, then your joy is gone. We have to, we, man, yeah, things are going to make you happy that happen on earth, right? But we just say, yes, man, I see two plus two equals four, blah, blah, blah. This happened, this happened, this happened. But I know that none of this happens unless he is in the equation. And so I just give him the credit for it all. And so we begin to see a pattern in our life that we got this and this, and I worked hard here, and I did this here, but I didn't earn, even though I worked hard. I just partnered with God, and he provided when I, did, when I worked hard, and so it still came from him, yeah. right? He gave me the ability to work. He gave me the mind to work. He gave me the desire to work. He gave me the ethic, right? And it's him. It's all him. I didn't derive it on my own, and so we put it in his hand. And we leave it in heaven. And we just access it when we need to. Can we start treating all of our stuff like we have to make a request for it? Instead of him having to make a request for it from us. Man, I hope you don't tell me to give my money today. Do you ask if you could use that money? Come on, look, how much freedom comes from that, really? I'm not responsible for it. I don't have to make it happen. It's If we could really get here, guys, I know it seems radical, but if we could really get here, okay, where he just holds it all and we just take what we need. You know what he's going to do? You're thinking it's going to be hand to mouth. You're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to have to be begging. He's a tyrant. You're getting in your mind like the one that he gave the talent to, right? And they said, I knew you were harsh. And he said, well, then I'm going to judge you by your thoughts, not my who I really am, right? And so we hoard it and we hide it and we are fearful with it because we make assumptions about God that aren't right. But I'm going to tell you, this is what it's really going to look like. Hey, God, can I get a peanut butter and jelly today? And he goes, get you a filet mignon today, because I love you. Huh? Hey, hey, you only gave me enough for peanut butter and jelly, but since you asked, I just kind of put a little bit extra with it. And you have a little peanut, you have a little, I about said it wrong, you have a little filet mignon. <laughs> Honoring God with all that we have and all that we are. Man, he just eats that stuff up, and he just, like, you just keep putting stuff in and trusting him, and he just keeps multiplying it. And that's why we stockpile treasures in heaven. See, we got to hoard things on earth because it doesn't multiply. You're just constantly trying to keep it from diminishing. But in heaven, you can just take a little, and you can stockpile a lot. But just giving it all to him. Jahan, um, <laughs> not too long ago, I think it was this last baby, Jehu, I had this thought, what if we could duplicate what the umbilical cord produces? What if we could do that? What if we could find a way, work with me, Rob, on this. You have to help me. <laughs> All right. Whatever comes from the umbilical cord, right, if we could make a machine that does that, hypothetically, could once a baby is born, say born in a pool underwater, could we hook that machine up and replace it to the umbilical cord, and then could that baby live underwater its whole life? 
That was my thought, yes. And yeah, I, I did, didn't I say that? Oh, John did not have the thought. John thinks I'm crazy for having a thought. That's what I meant to say. Like, because they live underwater in the womb, right? They don't have to breathe oxygen. And so, you know, they can't, there is no threat of them losing breath in their lungs through oxygen until oxygen becomes their source, source of breath. Right? So, <laughs> it wasn't a spiritual thought. It was just like, <laughs> I just like, how cool would that be? Like, if they're born underwater and the umbilical cord is still connected, I guess they could just stay under there for a while till you, till you cut the cord, right? They're getting all they need from the cord. You know, until that doctor sucks out the lungs and smacks them on the butt and makes that stuff come out, and then they start breathing. Now they're dependent on air, right? They start breathing inside? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Well... All I know is, well, listen, well, if we put a nose plug on them and, and seal off their mouth and say, no, you can't breathe, you have to get your oxygen from the book cord. No, it's getting it. It's getting it, bro. What do you think they're breathing inside there? There ain't no air in there. They got a little scuba gear in there. All right. Here's the deal, though. I don't know when the process changes. I'm not that smart. I don't know when they switch over, right? But we're supposed to be born again. So we, we were born breathing air in the spirit. We were born defined by the laws of man. We were born into sin, right? We were born, nobody had to teach a kid to be selfish, right? Nobody had to teach a kid to steal something. Nobody had to teach a kid to hit somebody, right? I mean, we are born into these sinful nature. We're born to strive. We're born to self-preserve and to fight our way to the top. We're born sucking air, right? And we're subject to air, and all of our life comes from air. All of our desires, all of what we think gives us sustenance and fulfills us comes from air. But we're supposed to be born again. And so it's almost like a baby that's breathed air going back. You know, who is it? Nicodemus said, how can I go back into my mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, this is sad. You're supposed to be one of the prime teachers and you don't even know this. Right? But if you could go back into a mother's womb and go from breathing air to being sustained by the umbilical cord, right? Then you change what defines your sustainability. And just go with me with my crazy idea. But unless we expose ourselves again and re- Re, uh, reconnect with air. I mean, unless we, unless we expose ourselves again and, and let what fills us be redefined again, then we could be forever sustained without any dependence upon air again. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek you first his kingdom and his umbilical cord. And you no longer can be taunted by the world. See, the world just like puts us in these chambers and starts turning the oxygen off and then we'll do whatever they tell us. But if we'll be hooked up, we'll be like, na, 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 boo, boo. <laughs> 
Look at this beautiful picture. He prepares a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That means he loves for the enemy to see you being sustained on what he provided. While he's over here saying, you don't got what you need, you don't got what you need. Can you just imagine? This is a picture. Like, take Jesus back into the wilderness when Satan tempted him, right? And he says, if you're God, throw yourself off. And, and wait, no. If you're God, the first one, turn these stones into bread. Now, here's a picture. When the enemy's coming in and he's tempting you like he did Jesus. And he's saying, work hard to provide for yourself. Strive and labor and torment yourself and always worry about money. Always worry about this and make it your number one goal to have all of this. And not just money, relationships. Man, really find a way to corner the market on relationships and make sure you're never alone. Make sure you're sustained and make sure you're all these things. And you can just see the adversary just playing games with you and constantly trying to put those thoughts into your mind. And just take Jesus. Satan says, turn those stones into bread and whatever he tells you to do. And then can you just see God just being like, hey, did somebody say bread? You don't have to do what he says. I got you some bread. Just have some of this bread. His bread's not any good anyways. Tastes like, yeah, stale. Tastes like rubber. Have this bread. This is good bread, right? Throw yourself off and, and he'll, he'll take, make his angels take charge of you. You know, do all this stuff. I mean, just constantly make it an open show. I mean, you need praise. You need affirmation. You need all this stuff to show who you really are. And then just take a couple of stories and merge them together, okay? He just left the water again, right? And so he just, like, just puts a big movie screen right in front of Satan, tempted him to throw himself off the stone. And God just puts this big movie screen and just hits play, and it's like, oh, look, there I am. I'm coming out. Look. Oh, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. How cool. You want to watch a movie? Hey, you want to eat bread and watch a movie? Dinner and a movie. <laughs> Come on, all the things that he's trying to taunt you with and tempt you with and, and get you with is just air that you don't need. Because he's the vine and we're the branches. And if we're connected to him, we have a life-sustaining life -sustaining force. But if we're separated from him, we have nothing. But I'm connected to him. I'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. Hey, turn those stones to bread. What bread? I got a Twinkie, bro. What's up? <laughs> bread? Man, that's so Old Testament. We don't know. We passed the manna, bro. I got filet mignon over here. Will you tempt me with some bread? Why would I turn a rock to bread when I got this? Why do we ever settle for what he tempts us with when we have so much more? Because we believe the lie. We're not confused. We're conformed. We've been conformed. We've let our mind go back into the patterns of the world. This brings fulfillment. This brings success. This makes you happy. This brings you joy. Blah, 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 blah. We take stuff so much less value, and it has no ability to bring us anything sustaining because we get conformed in our mind, but we must be transformed. By the renewing of our mind. We have to condition ourselves to be connected to the umbilical cord. You guys got that picture? Throw that picture up if you got it. Here's my third analogy. Third, yeah. I wish I had one of those things that they have on the sports shows. I really wanted to write on here on the screen. Paul, what have you been doing with your life? Why don't we already have that technology? <laughs> Come on. I mean, what's the world? I can't get that boy to do nothing. <laughs> he takes like an hour a day off. I don't know what his problem is. He could have been doing this in that hour. <sighs> Look at this. This is the kingdom of God. It's accessible. This little thing right here, 
is the righteousness that comes from it. Righteousness is right orderness with God. See, the kingdom of God can have everything we need. But we can't just seek the kingdom of God because we can find the kingdom of God. How many people know if your plane's about to run out of fuel and you find this plane and you say, hey, I found you, I see you. Okay. What's your point? You got to find the righteousness. The right orderedness with God. You've got to come into alignment with the truth of his word, with his righteousness. And so if you find, it says, seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness that comes from it, and all these things will be added unto you. Right orderedness with God. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. You abide in me if you do what I say, if you'll stay in right orderedness with me. How do you stockpile treasures of peace in heaven? You do what he says. Whatsoever things are pure, holy, and a good report, think on those things. Instead of going out here and trying to remove all the chaos from your life and make sure that you do everything you do to bring peace and nobody's mad at you and everybody's happy with you and you please every man that's alive. See, that's treasures that can be destroyed. Because once you get all those plates spinning, somebody's going to send you a text. <laughs> and then they're all going to come crashing down. And you're going to say, oh, Lord, why have you forsaken me? <laughs> you know, there's no evidence that God really ever turned his back from Jesus on the cross. No evidence that he really ever did. So why did Jesus say, why have you forsaken me? I believe because it was the final ob obedience unto death. I've been tempted in all ways. And so he submitted himself to the ultimate depravity of the feeling that the father had turned his back on him. The depth of bankruptcy. He allowed himself to feel that the Father had turned his back on him. He embraced the ultimate depravity, the ultimate place right before his death. He embraced it, but I don't think God ever turned his back on him. No evidence of that at all. Now, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? See, we're feeling what Jesus felt, but ours is actually the product of refusing to walk in righteousness with what God says. He arrived at that point because he chose to take it from us so he could feel what we feel. We arrive at that point because we refuse to take what he tells us and we choose to feel what we don't have to feel. I don't know what I just said, but that was good. <laughs> Somebody tweets it, I'll bless myself with it later. <laughs> Best things I ever said, I don't even know what I said. It's just the Holy Spirit, right? Anybody ever just get your earthly treasures, I mean, just right where you want them? Anybody ever really felt like you had it? I mean, you had, like, you had it. I mean, you had it built up. I mean, it was like, it was there. I mean, it was going to do it. You know, the most thankful thing I am that I can't say I never go a day without thanking him for it because I'm sure I do, but, man, it's very few days that I don't thank him for. The greatest act of mercy I believe God ever had on my life was stripping away everything when I was really at the top of my game, when I had just bought a really big house with a really nice in-ground pool and a really nice hot tub that I loved and a really nice cobblestone driveway in an affluent neighborhood and a brand new pickup truck that I always wanted to have. I live, and I had a little 80-year-old granny 
that nannied our kids for us. I mean, it was like a little house on a prairie. The lady would cook for us. We'd come home from being greatly fulfilled in our substantial ministry work. And our kids were just so well cared for and smell some divine dessert being fixed. Just bought me some brand new bedroom furniture for the first time. I got rid of my furniture I had when I was nine years old. You know, I mean, this is it. It. First Christmas I'd had that I really got my kids stuff, and we had to, we went crazy. We were there for about three months. Then I got fired. And then I couldn't sell my house. So I moved into my mom and daddy's house. Three kids, two kids. Had the third kid. Had Josiah while we were living in their house. They have a three-bedroom house. But mom and dad used two of those bedrooms. <laughs> so me and Jahan and Elias and Nisi used one of those bedrooms and some couches and go sleep with Mamma, right? And whatever we had to do for eight months. I remember the night that I got fired, I drove. They were having a little Chris, uh, New Year's Eve thing here. And I said, Jahan, you go to that. I don't know what I'm going to do. I drove up to, is it Big South Fork or whatever, whatever the thing is close to here, Clinton. And I said, God, I've completely ruined my life and my family's life. I don't know what in the world is going to happen. My wife doesn't deserve this. She didn't do this. She was on staff too and they can't keep her on staff if they fire me, right? Lost two incomes. Got a brand new house. Got a brand new truck. Think I was going to pay for it for like six years. No interest, though. All right? When they told me no interest and they want me to do four, I was like, how long can I pay? <laughs> no interest. I said, what am I going to do, man? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely bankrupt. I've, I'm, I've absolutely devastated my entire life. Love to see the, say that light shone from heaven and the clouds opened up. And he said, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. You're going to be amazing. For the next three years, we moved out of mom's house and moved into a, a little widow woman had a basement and she had a little closet no carpet no nothing we took a little closet we put a piece of carpet in it and I put three cribs in it we had three babies in cribs in a closet in a basement with a little piece of carpet in the floor we put a little piece of carpet in ours put all our brand new king-size furniture in that basement. <laughs> we went and bought a little sink and put it in so we could have a little sink, a little wet bar, do dishes. I don't even know if it had a stove or anything, did it? Nothing. Couldn't cook. Microwave. Lived in it for a year. In that time, someone said, hey, you want to go to Guatemala? I think you need to go. And I go and I look at people who really are struggling. And when that opened, it was before I even, this is why I was still at my parents, I think, and then when that basement opened up, I was like, my Lord, that looks like a mansion. Thank you, God. I don't know. I can't tell you how he did it. It makes no sense to me how he could have changed my mind because I was so stuck on what success looked like. I don't know how he changed my mind, but he did, and I... I'm so thankful that he did. Because I never have got that house that like that. I haven't got back to that place yet. 
My truck is, that same truck is chugging along. 13 years old. Back end's about to fall out of it, ain't it, DJ? Bind that, it's going to be healed. It's going to run for another 13 years. <laughs> but I'm going to give it to somebody else. <laughs> But to redefine where my treasure was, I just can't fathom living the life I'm living now. And I can't say like it was one moment. I can just look back and just stripping, stripping, and stripping. Those that went to burning ones, that's that whole thing, glory to glory and refining and refining and refining and impurities burning and impurities burning and impurities burning and dragging them before him and letting him burn them and letting him burn them and letting him burn them. And I got a whole lot he probably still needs to burn. But man, he redefined where I find worth in regard to where my treasures are. And there's no way we could do what God has called us to do over the last eight years without having that redefined. There's no way I could humble myself to uh, drive a school bus and mow lawns and plant a church and make $10,000 a year with six kids and somehow see God sustain us and provide for us. I would have had to have made that work better. I would have had to. I would have never seen the faithfulness of God sustain me when it didn't add up on paper if I was still that guy because I always found a way to make it add up on paper. Always find a way. Kill myself to find a way. And I can't see the hand of God. I, I, I can't access the treasures of heaven because I'm so dependent on the treasures of my hands. Guys, stand with me. We're going to get out of here. Prayer team, if you'll come, we're going to give everybody an opportunity for prayer as we leave today. As we go, if you need healing in your body, you need prayer in any area of your life, if you want agreement, if you want prayer, that you can redefine your treasures, they'll agree with you today. Let's just pray before we go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. We thank you for everything in our life that you've used to strip away our dependence on the world. And let's go a step further. Guys, be careful. You better not mindlessly repeat after me on this one, okay? You better really think about it. And Lord, we invite you To keep going. Don't stop. If there's anything that I'm building my faith upon, that I'm defining my worth by, that somewhere down the road the carpet's going to get pulled out from under it. Would you just go ahead and strip it away now? Would you do it gently? <laughs> Would you console us while you strip it away? Would you comfort us while you remove it? And will you fill our heart with hope and faith to believe we'll find a better portion we'll find a better treasure and we'll redefine what shapes our worth we love you we thank you for access to your throne we thank you for access to the riches and the wealth of heaven guys at the end of John 15 when he tells you that he's divine and we're the branches he said I tell you all this so that
your joy will be full. I just tell you to be connected to me. I just tell you that this is where you need to put your treasure. I tell you all that stuff, not because I need your treasure, but because you'll still, I can protect your treasure and keep it accessible to you. If you put it somewhere else, this thief and this, the one that came to steal, kill, and destroy, he has access to it. And he can dictate its availability by your circumstances, by things of the world, by things that should not define whether or not you're able to have joy and peace and love. But if you'll put your stuff in my hands, I'll make sure that the devourer can't touch it. And I'll make sure you have full access to it. And it'll be my joy as you access what you perceive to be what you invested, it'll be my joy for you to look in your hand and see that it's been increased and it's been multiplied. And then it becomes peace unspeakable. Then it becomes peace that you can't fathom or imagine. Then it becomes dreams that you never thought you never even spoke out loud more than you asked, think, or even imagined. It becomes what you thought you were investing. It becomes something that you never even thought possible. Not only will it not diminish if you'll let me hold it, but it'll increase or teach us. Teach us your ways. Teach us to walk in your righteousness that keeps us in full access to the treasures of heaven. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life. 